You're listening to Energy Insiders, a weekly update on clean energy and climate policy with Renew Economies editor Giles Parkinson and leading energy analyst David Leach. Energy Insiders is brought to you by Evergen, providing cutting-edge energy management software for battery optimisation, virtual power plants and distributed energy resources. And Pylon, helping solar installers and retailers design high-resolution solar proposals in minutes. Hello and welcome to this latest episode of the Energy Insiders podcast. My name is Giles Parkinson. I'm the editor of Renew Economy and joining me as usual is David Leach from ITK. David, I trust you are well. I am well, thanks, Giles. I trust, as usual, our uh, listeners are well and uh, looking forward to the break at Christmas. Australia only works 11 months a year, but before we get to that, we've got uh, a very special guest today. <laughs> Look, I think so. Peter Cowling from... Uh, well, yes, we'd, we'd like to introduce some Peter Cowling, the uh, head of Australia for Vestas, the international or global um, wind manufacturer. Peter, thanks for joining the Energy Insiders podcast. Good afternoon, guys. Nice to be here. Peter, how do you manage the month holiday in Australia? I'm not too sure the um, the people in the northern regions would understand, or um, do you manage to take some weeks off over Christmas and New Year? Yeah, I'll tell you what, this year we're, uh, we're, we're all definitely downing tools uh, very soon um, and, uh, <laughs> and getting out of here. It's been a long, long year. It feels like a couple of years, actually. <laughs> so, yeah, it does we'll, feel like we'll, a We'll be downing tools real soon. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Look, I think everyone would agree with you and that. It's been quite an extraordinary year. I mean, how has it been just for sort of installations? I mean, you guys are building really big facilities. You're moving large pieces of equipment, huge towers, blades. I mean, everything about the wind the wind industry is big at the moment and getting bigger. Um, how have you managed through this, um, this COVID-19 crisis, not just with the actual displacement of employees and getting the experts on site, but also some of the logistical challenges which are happening around the place? It's been a challenge on a heap of levels um, from, you know, the... I, I guess there's some pretty obvious things that people are seeing today uh, in international logistics, you know, containers built up in the wrong ports and uh, shipping costs going through the roof and uh, challenges along those lines. But but frankly, you know, I, I think if you stand back from it, the, the good news story is that despite a global pandemic and all of the constrictions on normal trade and activity that have occurred, we've, we've actually done an enormous amount. Um, projects have not been substantially delayed in, in, in completion as a consequence, but I've got to say, I think, you know, people have made it look easy and it hasn't been. Um, mm. The stuff that's been, re- you know, so, so in, in other words, we haven't had wholesale shutdown of construction sites, thank goodness because that's the stuff that would would run people to liquidation very, very quickly. Um, But what we've had is, you know, major constraints on movement between states and 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 internationally and that that is very very difficult particularly when you look at the pace of activity in Australia um, we've gone from a, a relatively small start stop industry to a pretty big one one of the bigger ones in the world and um, to be unable to move people around the country and and into the country um, has definitely made that a lot harder um, we've had a lot of people make a huge number of personal sacrifices just in terms of you know sticking out on site because literally they couldn't get home so they should keep working that sort of thing um people who've got stuck on the wrong side of the world and said look you know 
best for project, we'll stick it out as long as we can. Um, yeah, lots and lots of stories like that. So whether it's construction or, or service of projects, it's, um, yeah, it's been tough. And uh, look, I'm, you know, I don't, I don't think we're super special in, in Vestas or in, in the wind game. I think the whole economy's had to do extraordinary things and we've been at least very fortunate to, um, to keep things going. I mean, business, mm. there, there is still quite a bit of business out there. Um, there could be more, but, uh, you know, it has not ground to a halt. And when you step back from a transition perspective, it's pretty exciting that you can still build as much as is being built at the moment and continue to operate all those machines uh, with, with relatively mm. little impact. Um, so if we Just can do that for a, a pandemic, it, it suggests we can do a lot coming up, you know. Yeah, yeah. Well, we'll actually get to what we could be doing um, were all the policies and the rules in place. But just first of all, just give us an idea of some of the major projects which Vestas is actually working on at the moment, not maybe sort of coming up over the horizon, but the kind of things that you're doing now. I mean, I can think of Caban. I mean, I haven't got the uh, manufacturer right. Um, and you do. some others. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, look, we're, we're, we're currently in construction on Caban and uh, Dulaca wind farms in, 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 in Queensland. Um, we're working on Berry Bank Stage 2 in, uh, in Victoria at the moment. Um, we're working on... We've got Rye uh, Park, I think, uh, 6 megawatt we, turbine. So that's pretty interesting, you, don't you? Uh, you they'll be the first 6 betcha. megawatt turbines in Australia and some of the first in the world, won't they? They'll, they'll be very close to some of the first in the world. You're right, actually, David. Um, and, uh, yeah, look, we're, we're very excited about that. That's a very large project uh, and very large machines for, uh, for New South Wales. Um, so, so yeah, look, we're, we're working pretty much right across the country and uh, we also look after New Zealand from here too. So we're, we're busy over there also. Oh, sorry. You go, David. No, oh, you go. Well, I, look, I, I'd actually like to work from the top down. Uh, I, I was looking at the uh, Vestas Q3 results globally um, mm. and I noticed they've got their investor day today, so it's a shame we won't actually have the benefit of those presentations. But... Uh, the big thing has been these massive cost increases that are coming through, particularly on things like steel, um, which is mm. where the steel price was, say, double. I, 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 but lots of orders. I, I guess my, I, can, how, are, how are the cost pressures impacting us here in Australasia? I would say they are impacting us uh, in a very similar fashion to the, to, to, to the impact around the world. Um, steel is a pretty global commodity, certainly the skill, steel that we use for towers. Uh, look, obviously there's steel right through the machine, but the big chunk of steel that we worry about is for the turbine towers. Uh, and that, 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 you're right, that's, uh, that's pretty much doubled in the last uh, 12 months. Um, I think Australia might be a little disproportionately hit by shipping. Um, and, and that's in part because the sorts of ships that we tend to use for the unusual cargoes, you know, the break bulk vessels, the big, you know, for, for the big components, um, there's a limited number of those globally, and um, they have the option in some routes of, of returning with cargo. If they come to Australia, they, they can't. So, uh, you know, there's an added challenge there. Uh, I think it's, a, it's fairly well acknowledged out there that shipping, route, uh, you know, shipping interest in Australia as a smaller market is, is generally less than it is elsewhere. So, look, we're, we're, we're absolutely still getting ships, um, but, but it is, a, I think, a short-term uh, challenge for the industry. And uh, beyond steel, uh, maybe you could just talk about the, uh, I guess, if, if costs were normal, whatever the heck that is, uh, 
what do you <laughs> see as the uh, cost outlook for wind turbines? Like, uh, I think the price that Vestas received globally was about 0.8 million euros a megawatt, which is a, about 1.3 Aussie dollars a million a megawatt. And yet the installed wind farm ends up costing about 2 million uh, a megawatt. Um, I, just talk to me a little bit about prices and costs and stuff and where the industry's going technology-wise. Um, look, I, I, look I won't, I'll keep away from sort of commenting on our, our um, you know, uh, uh, overall results because that's, that's something I'll let the investor day speak to. But, uh, but look, I think it's um, the, the, the scope that we typically take on in Australia is, a, is, is, is usually a full turnkey. So uh, we look at uh, not just the cost of the turbine and, and its installation, but also the the balance of plant works that go with it. Um, so, um, you know, it's, it's always hard to compare those sort of per megawatt numbers that you see out there. It really depends on your definitions and what's included. Uh, and I know sort of investors look at, uh, at, at equipment manufacturers based on some of these metrics. It's, it's perhaps a bit of a bit of a dark art in some ways. Um, David, I think, you know, for, for, for the first time in quite a while, we've seen a, a general cost increase uh just because of the factors we've just discussed right it's it's more than just steel uh and uh, and shipping it's it's really right across the value chain of just about anything you'd want to put into a wind turbine just as it is frankly about pretty much anything you'd want to build your house with at the moment um it, it, everything seems to be impacted to a greater or lesser extent um i'd be pretty brave to confidently pick the peak but my gut feel at the moment is that we probably have seen peak cost in and we should see things start settling back to normal again over the next 12 months uh, it's certainly been a challenging year from that perspective just of really you know we, we, we've had for example big hikes in steel in the past you know about about uh, eight to ten years ago there was a, a pretty celebrated leap in steel steel costs but not everything else it's 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 a bit of a bit of a big hit this time around just to have everything suddenly move uh, within sort of a few months of each other. And I guess you can't uh, move your existing contracts, uh, but you will be able to, it will affect the price for new ones. And uh, as we know, it affects the solar industry and probably a lot of other industries as well. And guess mm. what? The coal prices double if you're a thermal generator. So, uh, with, uh, however, just on, on, the, on the trends of what's going on, uh, the other thing I've, I, I believe is happening is that the um, operating costs for a wind farm have sort of been coming down and that turbine manufacturers such as Vestas uh, will now essentially offer a whole of wind farm kind of maintenance contract and even a guarantee mm -hmm. of output over 20 years. And this is helping to bring the overall operating cost down. Could you just talk a little bit about that sort of trend? And what's talk of... Yeah, I'm a, uh, I'll, I'll define a few things first. The, the um, uh, guarantee of output is something that sends a shiver down the spine of any good wind turbine salesperson. Um, <laughs> the, what we, we guarantee, uh, obviously not the, what the wind will be, but if the wind is there, we'll guarantee that we yield either a, you know, a very, very high proportion of what's available or uh, be available to produce for a very high proportion of the time. So there's two different ways you can do the availability of a wind farm, either, either by uptime or by uh, you know, the, the, the proportion of available energy that is, that is, uh, that is actually delivered. Um, and you're right. Um, if I think back 10, 15 years, 
not only was there um, a, uh, uh, well, I guess, I guess the tradition was to offer relatively short uptime warranties. Let's, we, the industry refers to this as an availability warranty. Um, so not only did they tend to be, you know, three to five years, um, but, but they tended to be very, you know, very much just the turbine itself. Now, when you think about it, um, if the turbine OEM is on, on the ground and we've got electrical expertise and other general expertise, well, why not maintain more of it? Uh, particularly where investors are perhaps less operational and more financial in nature. So over time, the industry has evolved to take on a, not only a broader scope, so quite often the entire wind farm, inclusive of you know, grid assets, uh, but also r run that, that availability warranty if out to the sort of expected life of the, the plant. Um, so it's not unusual these days to get a 20, 25, even 30 year um, availability warranty attached to a, um, you know, a, a service arrangement. Um, and, and you know, if you're if you're investor or financier of a um, a project, there's and 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 your your OEM is of sufficient balance sheet strength to be believable as a very long term service provider. Um, then that's that's huge comfort. I can think back, you know, in the bad old days where we gave relatively short uptime warranties, our customers would have to say, well, okay you're not going to tell me what's going to happen in year 10. So I'm going to assume I'm buying a new set of blades and a new bunch of gearboxes, <laughs> right? Like for the whole wind farm. And, and you can imagine what that would do to a, uh, to, to, to a financial uh, model for, for a project. And guess what? They so, often had to, at least, if the, at least with the gearboxes, they it, often had to, if I think back to Lake Bonnie and all of that. But uh, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. No, no, not at all. Not at all. And, and you know, yeah, yeah, stuff can wear out. Um, now, who's best to look after that? Uh, is it is it uh, the 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 investor in the project, or is it the people who designed and have been maintaining the machines? And another part of the story is that we've got a lot better at preempting failures, getting good at um, listening for signs of trouble, and getting out in front of it. So um, it makes a huge amount of sense that the designer and operator of the of the project actually does find a way to offer some long term certainty of the the health of the machine. And yeah, I, I really, I couldn't tell you what proportion of the current LCOE of, of, of wind comes down to the fact that the industry has generally stepped up to do that, but it's, it's certainly material. Um, not everybody wants it. Um, there are I would guess about $10 a megawatt hour. Sorry, Pete. Uh, oh, $10 a megawatt hour uh, is, the, <laughs> is the improvement, I reckon, from about 2023, 20, yeah. if you look at Infigen's numbers, down to sub-15. And depending on whether the connection cost is variableized, uh, or, or, you know, perhaps if it's fixed, the connection cost may be as low as 10 or $11 a megawatt hour, mm. which is great. Mm. That's a terrific area of improvement. Mm. And look, it's also a bit of an evolution in the in the wind uh, equipment manufacturer's space. Um, you know, Vestas has moved from being a, a widget maker to, to to a project builder, and and we we take on a greater ownership um, of, of of not just the the long life of the turbine, but of everything that supports it. Um, so, uh, I mean, we, we we've, we're now taking on the maintenance of solar farms as well. Um, in the first instance, where they're co-located with with wind, but um, you know, it's 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 a it's a pretty common skill set. So we, you know, for, for us, so it, it makes sense as we're spread from one end of Australia to the other um, that we start picking up those other those other uh, related types of technology. 
Hmm. You came had a pretty um, strong intervention in the sort of the policy debate a couple of weeks ago. You warned that um, that uh, connections and wind projects could come to a stop sometime soon unless there was enough grid investment. Now, those comments came out before the release of the draft ISP from the Australian Energy Market Operator. Hmm. Are you comforted by the new, what's now known as the new central scenario for the ISP, which is step change, um, which is uh, much faster than previously. Yeah. I mean, I guess the it, it, it really matters most, not what AEMO says, but how all the regulators and the other policymakers and the planners respond. I look. I, I it, certainly the actual action is what's going to really count. But uh, but I, I I would not play down the fact that our grid operator, with some pretty profound consultation, if I understand the the ISP that I've written I've read so far, um, mm. ha, has come up with step change. Um, I mean that that, that I, you've almost got to pinch yourself if you've been in this industry for a while. Um, that that this isn't. This isn't me banging the drum saying, hey, I think we can do step change. This, this is AEMO um, having consulted with the entire industry. Uh, so I think it's super exciting. I, th- I, I think we, you, you, you've got to start with some, some well-accepted um, uh, 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 underlying conditions so that we can move on and, and, and we must move on very quickly and mm. work out how we're actually going to do this. Um, so, yeah. so no, look, I, I, I don't, I don't resent that there's uh, not a, a full set of answers in that document, but uh, I'm, I'm actually thrilled that we we start with a very, very clear picture of the future. It's either yeah. really, really fast or a lot faster. Um, so, you know, and, and, and but, but my, my my concern remains though, Giles, and and you know, we I, I spoke to this a couple of weeks ago. I I, um, I worry that um, the lead time for grid investment. Is, or for, for, for operational new grid, if you like, is so long that we could be sailing along for quite a while before we realise that we've actually run out, right? And we, we end up with, we're run out of grid connection opportunities and we, 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 we have a gap while we play catch up. Um, it, it, we've got to get Can you be a bit it. more specific? Yeah, can you be a bit more? I mean, we're talking about pinching yourself. I mean, it's not just AEMO that's talking about. I mean, AEMO, I think, assumes, say, sort of um, 79% renewables by 2030 in this step change scenario. Yeah. That compares to um, Labor, whose emissions targets assume 82%, mm. um, just just a little ahead of um, AEMO, which is 79%. And then even the coalition's um, emissions targets assume 69%. So, as you say, yeah. it's between fast and very fast. But look, what then are the things that you want to see happen very soon? I mean, we've got Project mm. Energy Connect. I think we're sort of talking about maybe VNI West and HumeLink. Um, mm. We've got the New South Wales Infrastructure Plan. What do you need to see happening to give you the confidence that we won't come to this complete stop and find out too late that we've run out of grid, as you say? Yeah, look, I, I think there's a couple of different fronts we need to be working on. Um, one, in case I forget it, let's start with this one. Um, we've got to work on social licence. Um, I, I, mm. I worry greatly I think about probably two um, license issues. One is is just the, the very obvious Im- impact on I- individual landowners, uh, communities, etc. of of the actual infrastructure itself. Uh, at the moment, there is very little in it for people um, to host this sort of infrastructure. And I really do think we need to acknowledge that this is. Are you talking about transmission lines? Are you? Yeah. Yeah. 
Um, So I I really do want us to very quickly, uh, as frankly, it's more than the industry, it's the, as a a country, acknowledge that uh, it's not unreasonable to compensate people um, on a a more um, generous basis um, for for, for hosting that infrastructure, right? I I don't think this can be forced. uh, And I do worry that, um, you know, if social license is not there, then political uh, license will not be there either. Uh, and we'll have we'll have a real problem. Um, and I think similarly, we have to be very careful about impacts on people's power bills. Um, you know, we, 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 we've had some pretty celebrated past fails in terms of uh, uh, the, the impact of uh, transmission assets on, on people's cost of electricity, um, domestic in particular. Uh, and I think we have to be extremely careful not to allow that to happen again in such a way that um, long before we finish the build that we need to do, that the, uh, the, whole, the whole thing blows up into a, an unacceptable political position. So I think we need to be thinking about both of those angles firstly. Um, uh, but look, I, my, we, we just have to move really fast to action. Um, you look at some of the timelines, uh, and, and look, I, I, again, I haven't read the whole, the whole document back to front, and I'm not a grid expert, but uh, I, I, I worry that if we are not moving super fast now on pretty much all the key pieces of infrastructure that have been highlighted um, with a funding plan, um, then, uh, yeah, we, this could spin wheels for a while and we will, we will find that uh, each marginal project is going to have to either suffer significantly greater cost or greater curtailment of both, which um, just starts um, making it very, very hard. Pete, when, when, when investors looks at it globally and you're calling for capital, I guess the first call might be between offshore and onshore wind. Mm. And maybe you could just talk a little bit about the prospects for offshore wind in your opinion here in Australia. But also, when you look at Australia versus other regions, how does Vestas, uh, you know, headquarters see, us, see, see us Australasia? Yeah, look, I'm, I'm actually really pleased to say it, uh, that, that they see Australia as a huge opportunity. Um, where we've got to be careful is that you know there have been some some real challenges in in, in building in Australia. Uh, you know we've seen contractors go under here because of the the stresses of of, of trying to deliver. Um, that the scope of delivering in Australia is uh, for, for an OEM is is typically about as big as it is anywhere in the world. Um, it's most unusual to deliver balancer plant in in most of the rest of the OEM world in, in wind. Um, so, you know, that, that, that can come with potential downsides, which, you know, could, could scare away OEMs. Um, look, our view is um, Australia's actually uh, is a really interesting market. It is, it is moving fast. We are currently hitting well above our per capita weight in terms of uh, large-scale wind. Um, so, so it's certainly a market we want to be in, um, but not at any cost. Right? And, 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 and connection has been a real challenge and, you know, supply of skilled labour has been a real challenge. Even outside the COVID context, um, it, it, it has been a difficult place. Again, we've had a, a stop-start industry for years, uh, which has not made it easy to build up the skills base uh, and equipment base that you need uh, to, to deliver. But, but that said, you know, uh, we, we, are, we are very much still here and still excited about the, 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 the near and long-term future for, 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 for wind here. On the, on the offshore front, um, look, we, we recently uh, sort of 
effectively sort of re repurchased um, the the, uh, the offshore business that we had uh, sort of ended up in joint venture with a with a partner on um, about a decade ago, and uh, we, we've jumped back into offshore because we we do think it's got a massive future around the world. Um, we're certainly seeing the early stages in Australia, um, and uh, I, I absolutely believe it's part of the future. Um, if you look at the well, even the even step change, but I was going to say if you look at if you look at what do they call it hydrogen superpower, um, there's no doubt we're going to need uh, a mix of onshore and offshore wind. Um, offshore brings you a, a different diurnal pattern very very often, and and obviously has a lesser impact on uh, on on uh, on land use. Um, so uh, when exactly will it happen? I I couldn't say. Um, it's uh, probably got slightly different drivers to to some parts of say Europe. Uh, in Europe, uh, quite it's not not unusual to have onshore wind opportunities largely run out, and uh, and offshore is the only way to go. Uh, in Australia, it's a little bit different, so there'll be I think that mix will develop as the market develops over time. And can I just quickly just with your sort of general. Vestas headquarters. Uh, what about offshore wind in 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 Asia? Is that something mm. you think about? To me, it seems like it could be absolutely massive for Asia. Oh, Asia no and also it. sort of. Yeah. yeah, no doubt about it. Um, we are we are actively involved uh, in, in that industry. Um, we're building projects in um, in Taiwan. Um, we're, we're, uh, we'll be building projects in Japan next year. Very interested in in, in North Asia particularly. Um, but um, yeah, I think I think you're dead right. It's a it's it, it's it's pretty logical. There's there's more wind offshore in most of Asia than there is onshore, um, and uh, and more space, frankly. Um, so uh, yeah, m m most certainly um, we we see a very bright future for Asian offshore wind. Um, have you been talking to any of the uh, prospective developers in Australia? Because I think there's more than a dozen projects out there now. Um, you know, the Star of the South, of course, um, and we've just seen some others emerge um, on either side of the Bass Strait. Um, have they gotten to that stage to talk with you about size of turbines and things like that? Uh, we, we've, we've had various chats with, with, with various teams. So one of the things you'll learn very quickly, uh, actually, I was about, about to say, oh, you know, unlike onshore, well, actually, frankly, onshore, it's not unusual for a project to take five to 15 years to get to, to, get to financial close right. and construction onshore in Australia, but that's, that's not really... That, that, that's as much to do with policy and other things as it is to do with uh, the, the nature of the project. But offshore is next level in terms of infrastructure. Um, yeah. Even measuring the wind out there is is a different kettle of fish to putting up a met mast on land, as you can imagine. Um, so uh, there is a pretty long lead into into a into a serious offshore project, um, and that that is definitely different to uh, to the way onshore has worked over the years. But um, Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, look, we're certainly starting a number of discussions and uh, they'll go at different paces over time as, as those projects firm up from a technical perspective, but also from a, from a uh, financial perspective. When, when do they make sense to come into the market? I'm just wondering just on some of the technology developments, um, you know, the, the ability of wind turbines and inverter technologies mm. to provide grid services and do other useful things into the grid, sort of traditionally done by the sort of coal and gas generators. We've seen some of the work happened at Hornstad already, and I think also, um, I can't remember which wind, wind farm now in, in mm. Tasmania. Um, what can you tell us about some of the advances there and, and, and the future role that they may be able to play? 
Uh, super exciting space. Uh, wrong bloke to give you a good, cogent explanation of what, how it works. Um, uh, but um, look, I, I think I'll throw some cliches out there and, and see if it makes sense. Uh, grid forming inverters are absolutely a part of the future, uh, and I, I think they will be a very rapid part of the solution here. Um, and you know, wind turbine. OEMs are working on solutions. It's a little bit more challenging to have a, a grid forming inverter on a wind turbine, given it's it's a big moving thing, than it is on a, an inverter for a, a battery or, or solar. But um, but but that that logic of grid forming is certainly something that um, we, we expect to see uh, across the board. Ultimately, it's really exciting uh, early work being done on. Um, on batteries uh, in a grid forming mode, um, still performing their storage function and, and probably other functions as well, but also a grid forming function. And, um, you know, you, I, I hope yeah, th th these early early signs of grid forming will be one of those conversations we come back to in 10 years time, Giles, and say, I remember when we used to say, oh gee, I wonder whether, you know, it, it'll be like those early motor cars. Um, <laughs> I, 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 and, and ultimately we'll be sitting back saying, do you remember when we used to, we used to rely on a governor letting a bit of steam out of a out of a out of a steam pipe of some description in order to try and regulate uh, the, the 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 entire Australian network. Uh, whereas ultimately, I think we're going to find that we we quite enjoy having uh, precise digital control of uh, of the network, and certainly the early experiments of the big batteries around the country are incredibly encouraging from that perspective. Mm. Uh, the could I yeah. sorry come back then and, and ask about the actual uh, wind turbine technology? Uh, you, you, uh, I guess let's just talk about these six megawatt units. Uh, mm -hmm. Well, I guess my question is, what's likely to happen to the cost of turbines? Uh, have we, you know, there's a perception that the industry is kind of mature now and there's not much left to do on the cost front. Mm. But I still see that turbine sizes and uh, blade lengths are going up, and it seems to be more for uh, getting into low, lower average wind areas and what about capacity factors? Can they go up as well? Yeah, absolutely. So um, uh, we've not seen the end of increased rotors yet. Uh, be a very brave person to call that. Um, uh, but we will increasingly hit logistics challenges. Um, and, and at some point we'll hit a physics challenge as well. Um, Offshore is a little easier to go bigger and bigger and bigger, and that's that's purely and simply because we're dealing with um, very very low turbulence because you're, you've 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 got a flat sea for the for the wind to come across. Um, so so greater physical challenges on land from larger rotors, um, but um, I think. Um, yeah, I, I, I work with people that have been in this industry for, for a very long time, and uh, I, that, you know, some, some of them called it back at uh, back at seventy two meters. You know, <laughs> you, you'd regret that. Um, so, so look, I do think you'll see more of that, um, and you might even see a bifurcation of the of the industry where you've got a, a solution for you know, East Coast Australian standard conditions where you're trying to get down normal highways through normal towns and, and to, to projects in, in, in the sorts of uh, locations we currently see. And you might see a different sort of turbine that heads straight from a port down a dead straight road to a, uh, uh, a massive offshore, uh, massive uh, off-grid 
uh, back of beyond, uh, you know, hydrogen facility that's uh, actually doesn't have the physical constraints uh, of 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 a more traditional grid connected wind farm. So so that 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 you know, just just guessing, but uh, it may be that uh, we we do hit some limits um, on, on uh, normal on land projects before too long. Uh, but I'd be very very brave to pick that. Are costs still coming down? That's absolutely the aim of the game. Um, I don't think we should be pretending that they're going to go down forever till somehow we're, you know, power's free, um, and, and nor should we. Um, but, uh, but, but certainly, you know, in, in real terms, um, it's, it's, it's pretty impressive where, where costs have got to. When you look at some of the hydrogen projects, and you just mentioned hydrogen now, and you mentioned mm. some of the sort of the off-grid possibilities, there's so much in the way of different projects being announced and proposed. And look, I guess it's still at the stage as we've sort of said um, on several times here, sort of you know initial sort of braggawatts, but yeah. you know the intention seems to be there quite clear. I mean, you're obviously closer to the industry than we are because they're probably talking to you about turbines and things like that. But given the sort of constraints with the wind, with the grid con connection, um, given the potential for bigger turbines in remote and off-grid areas. Where are you expecting, how, how quickly do you see this sort of hydrogen, this renewable hydrogen industry emerging and, and where? I mean, will it be offshore wind? Will it be land off-grid? Or will it actually be within the network? Because there's a few projects happening, say in Queensland and Exactly, yeah. Look, I suspect, Giles, that on-grid smaller projects is the easy starting point. Um, I think off-grid, we'll see first serious investment decisions um, to, to actually commit probably in three or four years' time, something in that sort of time frame, maybe a little longer, could, could be sooner. Um, uh, there, there, there's a few good early strategies for uh, monetizing the output. Um, there's, you know, there's an existing ammonia industry, there's an existing hydrogen industry um, that could be greened up. Um, and it's interesting looking at it, uh, global ammonia prices at the moment. Um, you know, I think a lot of people would be very happy to have green ammonia at the moment if it was from current priced renewables because it might be cheaper than taking it from European gas. Um, but um, yeah, look, I, I'd, I'd say big off-grid is certainly real. Um, you know, I, I, I've, I've likened this to... You know, for the, for the wind game, imagine imagine if oil and gas industry had only ever been able to explore for oil and gas within thirty or forty kilometres of an existing service station. Right? Well, that's kind of what we've been doing. We've only really been able to to to, to seriously look at wind opportunities within thirty, forty, fifty k's of existing grid, and that inherently has always brought it into you know a, a conflict of land use with with other activities be it houses or towns or, or farming or whatever. Um, so, so, you know, it's, it's, it's pretty exciting to be able to uh, deliver that energy by means other than through national grids uh, because suddenly you can go and find the resource rather than find the best resource you can in the circumstances, if you know what I mean. Um, so that's, uh, that's super exciting. So we in Australia should be able to get out there and find massive amounts of you know nine plus meters per second for those that are windies that's the that's the pretty much the gold standard um, in locations where you get world's best solar uh, that combination mm -hmm. is uh, really is extraordinary um, now there's, there's plenty of other parts of the globe that have that 
not a lot of them are places you want to sink tens of billions of dollars of investment for the long term. Right? So I think Australia also, you know, we shouldn't undersell just what a great destination we are for this sort of big long-term investment. Um, it's a physically safe, politically safe, you know, geologically safe place to, to yeah. land this sort of infrastructure. So I, I really do believe in it. And, uh, you know, <laughs> in the early days of the wind game, we used to look at these fantastic wind resources that are practically beyond the end of the grid before we realised just how important the grid was. Uh, well, well, now actually we can go chasing those and chase them well, well, well beyond the grid. And that's, uh, that's pretty exciting. That's a real energy play rather than just a, just a grid play. Just one final question for me. I mean, there has been a few sort of um, incidents with wind farms uh, in Australia and around the world, a few sort of equipment problems. I mean, it's always very visible with the wind farm if a blade falls off and things like that. I think you had a problem with Dundonald and maybe had another one in Victoria. Um, anything to report on those of these unfortunate accidents? Um, is there a systems problem there? Has it been a fault? Um, what can you tell us? Oh, look, I, we, I wouldn't address any specific issues. The, 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 the trick in this game, to, to pretend that a a moving machine um, that, that that's designed to last for up to 30 years in the field and, and run pretty much 100% of the time in extreme conditions uh, won't have faults. Um, it would be would be crazy. Um, the, the the trick is how you ensure that people are not hurt. And that, that's first and foremost, um, and, and then to ensure that you get get it up and running again and you don't have faults to the extent that it affects the uh, the, the, the the fundamental cost of energy and the and the investment case. Um, and that's what we're good at. We run a we run a the by far the largest uh, operations and maintenance team in Australia. Um, we do that not just for our own wind turbines. We actually look after other brands of wind turbine. Um, and uh, you know, uh, we we there's not much we can't do to uh, to get machines fixed up and and back on running. Um, the big trick is you learn from your mistakes. Um, we we have a we have a very solid. Feedback loop. Uh, if there are problems, we we absolutely uh, ensure that we, we we don't repeat those in the field again. When I look at the uh, uh, Vestas overall consolidated accounts, it strikes me it's a bit of a Gillette model, or it's moving that way. I mean, you've got a EBITDA margin or something of twenty five percent in services uh, versus a margin of not very much in the actual turbines. Uh, and uh, but unfortunately, the services is only about what is it, twelve percent of revenue or something like that. It's a shame it's not fifty or sixty percent. Would, would do you think? Uh, absolutely. And look, I, I won't comment on our results, but uh, it, there's no doubt about it that um, you know investors really like the service revenue. <laughs> it's uh, if you you look at the the variability in the in the global industry on a on an installed basis, um, it's hair raising at times. Um, look what's happened in Australia over the years. We've we've had years of 500 meg down to zero, back to a thousand, down to zero. You know that's 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 a tough way to earn a living. Um, so you're absolutely right, David. We we like the 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 underlying security of of of, of long term service, um, and, and it is a different sort of business, right? A very different sort of business. So it is done on different sorts of margins. But uh, um, yeah, it's 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 a very very important part of our future. 
Well, Peter, I think that's um, pretty much a wrap. Um, before we let you go, um, David, um, is there anything else that we need to sort of talk about um, just in the other news that's happened over the past week? We had a very um, we had a very great interview, very good interview with Alex Wanhouse and Nicola Falcon last week from AEMO, which covered off the ISP. Um, in this last week, there seems to be a few other little projects running around. Um, NeoN, for instance, sort of um, starting off in its capital battery. Um, interestingly, that's chosen Doosan over Tesla. Um, a string of new different hydrogen proposals uh, of some form uh, or another. Uh, partly, Giles, partly underlying Neowin's ability to do that is it's now developed its own auto-bidding software, so it doesn't need to uh, go with Tesla in the, in the same way. But that's the only comment I'd make about that one. Hmm, okay. I should, have, um, I should have run you to get a comment before I actually publish the story. It would make it much more informed. Anyway, um, and from the politics, we just seem to have gone into, um, we, well, we seem to have gone into pre-election mode, in sort of pre-holiday and, and pre-election mode. Um, David, I'm not too sure if there's anything else that you want well, to add. The only, the only thing I want to say is I've been very disappointed in the response of the both the Labour Party and the Liberal Party in... in um, um, uh, endorsing the ISP and putting it front and centre. Uh, it was a good opportunity with the release of what is admittedly still only a draft to get out there and, and say, well, we acknowledge the work of our EMO. We acknowledge that our, our um, executive team here has, has put their heart and soul into doing this for two years and offered us a, a workable blueprint of how to move the industry forward. Uh, we acknowledge that, uh, you know, social license is an absolutely massive issue. Uh, whether it's for a big new wind farm in Tasmania that's run into a problem where, or whether it's the social costs of transmission of, uh, sorry, biodiversity costs of a billion dollars, a billion dollars to put, put Humelink uh, get going and, and reduce that $40 a megawatt hour electricity deficit between Victoria and Melbourne. And, uh, you know, there's a, there's a big role for us to sort of be the, 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 uh, uh, the family, uh, the mama that looks after this project and shepherds it through. Uh, but they didn't take that. Neither party is, is actually willing to do anything mm. other than to put a stupid headline target out there without any practical way of actually achieving it. Anyway, that's my event for the day. I've had an NBN outage, so I guess I get a bit grumpy. Over to you, Charles. <laughs> Peter, that sort of takes us to the conversation where we started it about will we actually get it around to having enough grid capacity to keep the development going? So um, hopefully we get a bit more positive response over time. We'll, we'll get there, guys. I mean, I don't... None of us could have predicted that the industry would be installing what we're currently installing today, what, five years ago? We'd have had rocks mm. in our heads, wouldn't we? Um, it's, it's pretty damn impressive what's happening, so let's, let's not underplay what we can do in the future. Let's underplay, but let's hope that we can actually sort of keep it going, keep the momentum going, because it is important, uh, not just for sort of business and other things, but also because there's a, a bigger goal there as well to reduce emissions. Um, but I think, as you said, I think social license is going to be critically important. Look, I think that's a wrap for today's podcast. Um, thank you very much, Peter Calling from Vestas, for joining the podcast um, this week. Thanks, guys. And thanks and to thanks our sponsors, Charles. Oh, you were just going to get there, but I would like to add my personal thanks to our sponsors uh, for this year. Okay, that's right. Yes, um, um, Pylon and Evergen. Um, thanks to everyone listening out there. I think we've got one more podcast to go before the end of the year, and then we'll be back again at the end of January. So um, go for well, go well for now, and we'll be back again this time next week. Energy Insiders was brought to you by Evergen, the market-leading renewable energy software business that optimises residential and commercial solar and battery systems. Evergen enables large numbers of systems to operate as a single fleet, so network operators can use them as a virtual power plant. 
generating significant value for consumers, network operators and the energy system as a whole, Evergen Software is powering the energy system of the future. Energy Insiders was also brought to you by Pylon. Pylon provides easy-to-use, solid design software for installers and retailers with pay-as-you-go pricing, no monthly cost and no locking contracts. Join Australia's top solar companies who trust Pylon to design high-resolution, CEC-ready solar proposals.